You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing? It is so good to be back here, and uh, I'm just surprised Ryan invited me back. So, it's, uh, again, I'm just, you know, that's, I'm just excited about that, and it, it's really good. Uh, you know, Ryan asked me to speak on, oh, by the way, you know, I get around a lot, okay? I, I stepped down as senior pastor of our church up in Anthem a couple of years ago. Do you know, you know, I think Josh has only been here a couple of weeks. Uh, Josh is a winner, okay? I'm an outsider. I'm just telling you that. It's really kind of cool to be here and, and uh, minister with you, my friend, and uh, Craig and all the rest that are here. Uh, anyway, Ryan had asked me, he said, uh, Bob, go ahead and, uh, you know, whatever is near and dear to your heart, or if God is kind of schooling you on some things, why don't you share that, you know, with, with our congregation here? And so what I'm going to do today is what I said in the first service here. I'm going to kind of open up my viscera here, and you're going to see, you know, kind of what's going on inside of me. Because at heart, I'm a church planter. Planted other churches, planted the church up in Anthem, and, and it's really a passion of mine. And I found that those early years of a church just like North Valley, has got certain kind of needs and need to always be reminded of. Last time I was here, I talked about being a volunteer and serving and how important that is. And it's just a key component to a healthy church. But what I'm going to talk about today trumps that. It is, I think, the biggest issue and thing that I could possibly share because it's something that I've been dealing with myself. And it's a conversation with God. It's something that some of you are going to right now kind of ho-hum it because I'm going to say I'm going to talk about prayer. And I say ho-hum it because if you're a part of church world, you know at one time about every five weeks they're kind of cycle back around and talk a little bit about prayer. And that was me. And then God began schooling me in a few things to just talk about something that I'm personally going through. You know, years ago, I was part of uh, what was called a 50-day spiritual adventure. I went across the whole you know, United States, very much like a 40-day, you know, 40 days of purpose things. But this was years before that. And they had different titles for different years. And the one that I really enjoyed the title of, it was called Untapped Miracles for Tapped Out Christians. And I thought, you know, there are times in my life where I just feel tapped out. You know, I'm born and raised here in Phoenix. And so about uh, July... I kind of, the heat gets me, and you just feel like you got no energy to do much of anything. And so I've lived a tapped out life from time to time, and so have you. We all have. And there are times in our life when we so desperately want to see a miracle of God doing something beyond what our scope is. And I found in the years of ministry that usually when that happens, it's in association with my conversation that I've had with God. Somehow my prayer life interfaces someplace with God and there are consequences to that and many, many times it's God just doing something beyond what I can ask, think, or imagine. I don't know if that's your experience, but that's mine. And so lately, God has been surfacing this in my own life. And I've said, you know, I really want to have a fresh look at this. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but you would think if you hung out with Jesus for three years, you would think that you would get the basics. So here's Peter and James and John, some of the key people following Jesus. 
And just hours before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus asks one thing. He says, hey, guys, would you please just kind of watch and pray for me? And so they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you know the story. Doesn't take long before they're sound asleep. Jesus comes out, got to be a little disappointed, wakes him up. Hey, guys, watch and pray for me, man. This is a big deal. He goes back to pray, he comes back, they're asleep again. He does it again, they're asleep again. And, and then he pins and says these words, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This whole matter of prayer is something that we have a tendency to go ho-hum on because the reality is, it's hard stuff. And I would hazard to say, I'm just talking from a guy's perspective, it's harder for us guys than even for gals. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because we get, you know, just our, our, our mind goes crazy. I, I start to pray, and after about a minute or two, I'm thinking of all the other things that I have to do. I'm thinking of all the things that have to get done at work or at home and so on. You know, my mind wanders, you know, like a squirrel. You know what I'm saying? Just all of a sudden, things just come to your mind, and you've got to react to it. And yet I've found that there is such a base for growth and power when we get this right. So maybe this is a bit of encouragement for all of us, okay? Because frankly, a lot of us who've been around church world for a while, we've kind of learned how to get along without it. And maybe this is a wake-up call for all of us. Because if I understand the clear teaching and implications of Scripture, it's the one thing we can't and do without. So we're going to talk about it a little bit. We're going, to, we're going to talk about it. In fact, everybody seems to be talking about it. Did you guys happen to see the MTV Awards and, and Chris Pratt? You know, you got the... How many of you saw that or heard that? You know, okay, yeah. You know, the Generation Award. And here's Chris Pratt. You know, cool dude. You know, and he gets up there and he gives us nine, nine things that he's learned and he's schooling this younger generation. And among the things he said, by the way, great testimony... Great testimony in the middle of all of this. He even gets you know, applause for it. But he also says, as he's giving advice, he says, learn how to pray. And so for all of us here at North Valley today, that's my heart. That we learn how to pray and we do it. Now, I've been in ministry for a lot of years. And I've got to tell you this. I've been at the bedside of many, many dear Christian folks that are just on the edge of going on to eternity. And some of them have been in church every day. And some of them, you know, just know the Bible inside and out. But they never had a conversational relationship with God. It's just prayer is, you know, oh, it's hard. And then are those times when they really, really, really needed God to draw near, he felt distant. And I believe that part of the reason for that is because they hadn't really cultivated significant prayer in their life. So before you check out right now, kind of lean into this today, okay? This is not for you. This is for me. You just get to kind of listen to me talking to myself, okay? So here we go. I thought I'd come up with a, a catchy title. The five most dangerous prayers you can pray. Okay. You could come up with 10. You can come up with 20. These are my five most dangerous prayers that you can pray. And I like the word dangerous. 
Can I give you a definition out of Webster? One of the definitions is this. An activity that is likely to cause problems or have consequences. I want to challenge you that if you happen to take one of these five prayers and pray it, I guarantee you, if you do it with all sincerity, it, it becomes an activity that will cause problems, and I guarantee there will be consequences to it. But I'm a guy, so I kept it really simple. All five of them only have two words to each one. And I don't want you to remember all five of them. Don't. I want you to remember one of them. One of them that God specifically speaks to you today about. Because I don't believe anybody here is by accident, here by accident. I believe that God drew you here today, even if you've been coming every day for the last four years. God's here. He's going to do some things. A dangerous prayer. If God really answers my prayer, everything in my life might change. And that is dangerous. So I'm going to give you the first one. Are you ready? Search me. That's a dangerous prayer. Search me. Search me. In other words, God, look for what is hidden in my life and reveal it to me. Look what is hidden from other people, maybe even hidden from myself, and somehow reveal it. Expose me to that hiddenness in my life. I have a good friend uh, in Montana. For 16 years, he's been a TSA agent at the airport up there. And uh, I just talked to him, really, just very recently, and I, I, I asked him, hey, listen, in 16 years, have you ever had some really goofy things, you know, people trying to smuggle in, you know, I don't know, otters or something like that? Have you ever had any crazy things? And he says, well, yeah, you know, we, we had a guy go through the x-ray machine, and the thing just went bonkers, and so we took out the wand, you know, have you ever been wanded? You know, they took out a wand, and it came to his hip back here, and it's just going crazy. Lift up his shirt, and they find out that he has two knives, now, these aren't just knives. These are like buoy knives. These are like knives, you know. And they said, what are you doing trying to, you know, go on board with knives? And this is the guy's answer. He said, those aren't knives. Those are steak knives for eating the food I'm going to eat in the airplane. You know, they're not weapons. They took him away. Um, I don't know where he is now, but, you know, we... An x-ray reveals what is hidden. And I think that there's a psalm that tells us the same kind of thing. David, David pins Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a great psalm, and it's one that talks all about God and who he is. That he's omniscient, he knows everything. That he's omnipotent, that he can do anything and everything. And that he's omnipresent, there is no place that he is not at. The idea of Psalm 139 is there is no rock that is big enough for you and I to hide from God under. That's what the whole psalm is about. But by the time you get to the end, this is what King David says in verse 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I like the Good News translation, same verse. Examine me, O God, and know my mind. Test me. Discover my thoughts. Find out if there's any evil in me and guide me in the everlasting way. 
In other words, he's saying, in light of the fact that you are omniscient, you know everything. In light of the fact that you are omnipresent, you're everywhere. In light of the fact that, that you can do everything and know everything, look inside of me and tell me what you see. And men and women, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. You are literally giving permission to take out a search warrant, to be honest. You're giving permission to do what only God can do. Search the inside of your heart and your mind and reveal truth. Now, I've got to tell you, you take any time in the Scriptures and you'll find out that honesty and truth is something that God always honors. Yet it is something that we tend to struggle with. And you say, oh, no, 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 not me. I believe it's very hard sometimes to be honest with God. In fact, Jesus spoke very hard words about dishonesty, about um, uh, uh, hypocrisy, about facades, about this idea of people who spoke one way, but they lived another way. Being honest to God is a hard thing. In fact, asking God to say, search me, God, can be so revealing, can be so shocking, can be so embarrassing that we rarely do it. I've got four kids. I've got 13 grandkids. As my kids were growing up, my oldest son, Jason, I remember asking all my kids, but I remember Jason in particular, and believe it or not, this is crazy. I was sharing this in the first service. And my phone rang, and it was Jesus. It was Jesus, it was Jesus too, probably. But it was Jason. <laughs> Crazy. Anyway, Jason, I, I sat down with him along with the other kids, and I said, Jason, tell me, how am I doing as a dad? Do not ask that, men, if you don't want to hear the truth. But he told me. He said, Dad, you're just not around. Dad, you're in church more then you're with us. I was waiting for him to say, oh man, you are awesome. You are such an amazing dad. You do it all great. And he didn't. He said, I just don't see you, dad. And I have to tell you, this is the truth. As if everything else I'm telling you is a lie. No, this is the truth. The trajectory of my life changed that day. It was a wake-up call. And I made some choices concerning church and ministry and so on and really began pouring into my kids in a very, very special way from that time on. And I have to tell you now that I'm an old dude, all four of my kids are just serving Jesus in a great way, a deep way. They're successful in life. Like I said, I've got 13 grandkids and each of them are being poured into by their family. And one day I'm going to just see Jesus and, and I'm going to make this transfer from here to there. And I think in that area, God will say, well done. Because my heart was searched and I heard the truth and I responded. It's a hard pray, prayer to pray, but I want to really encourage you. It's hard because the truth about ourselves is sometimes very hard to handle. And secondly, I believe it's harder to be truthful 
with those who are close to you than those who are strangers. I can come up, I can say anything to all of you. You know, some of you are my friends that I know, but some of you are strangers. I can say all sorts of things, and you know what? I'm gone. So I can say things, and then you won't see me again, maybe. But for those who are close to you, your family, if you reveal those things to them, you get honest with them, they may just react. And then you've got to live with them. You see, being honest, asking God to search your heart and your thoughts to see if there is any wicked way is a tough and dangerous prayer. You say, oh, come on. I'll always be honest with God. I wouldn't hide a thing. You know, it started all in the garden. Sin entered the garden, and Adam and Eve, as soon as it happened, the first thing they did was hide from God. As if God couldn't find them. Crazy. So, it's a hard prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. Search me. But that might not be the one that connects with you. There's a second one, and for the sake of all of us guys, very simple, break me. Break me is the second of my list of the most dangerous prayers that you can pray. Now listen, I'm no masochist. You know, I'm not asking God to sharpen a stick and poke me in the eye. I'm not looking at that at all. Even though church history is full of people who somehow thought that if they hurt themselves, that God is going to love them a lot more. And so they'd beat themselves and they'd, they'd, they'd you know, go on their knees uh, two miles to, to worship God and stuff. I don't see that in the scriptures any place at all. And that's not what I'm talking about here at all either. What I am telling you is this. I'm an athlete. I'm an aging athlete. But I'm an athlete. I pole vaulted and ran the decathlon when I was in college. And um, uh, during those days, I worked out in the off-season with the Phoenix Track Club. And I did that. It's kind of interesting. It was an all-girl track club. Way to go. Okay. And uh, part of the reason was not because it was all-girl, but there's a little bit there. Anyway... The main reason was because Fred Moore was the coach. He was an internationally acclaimed coach, and several people went on to the Olympics and to some of the other you know, games and track meets and relays around the world. And so I wanted to hang out with this guy as much as possible. I wrote down, and I found it and put it into my notes here today, something that Fred Moore said. He said this, We need to break down the muscles so that your muscles will grow. We need to break down old training habits and replace them with new ones. We need to break down old ways of doing things so that you will learn new ones, and we've got to break down old attitudes and replace them with new attitudes. Well, that's good stuff. That's good in terms of sports, but it's really good in terms of our spiritual life and especially concerning a prayer break me. What am I asking him to break me of? I think there are things in all of our lives, in all of our lives, that keep us from that sweet spot with God. It'll be different with everyone here. But for me, one of the big ones is pride. I don't know what it is for you. Guys, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's the way you handle money. Maybe it's a, a relationship you have with your boss or with those who are employees. Or I, I don't know what it is. But whatever that thing is that keeps you 
from the sweetest, most magnificent relationship with God, that's the thing that you're asking God to break. I said mine's pride. It says in Proverbs 29, verse 23, a man's pride brings him low, but the man of lowly spirit gains honor. Or the good news version says arrogance will bring your downfall, but if you're humble, you will be respected. Pride trips me up. It keeps me from doing great kingdom things. In fact, it was the writer of Hebrews that said, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So here's the question for you. What is it for you that hinders you from being a wild man or a wild woman for God? When I first came to know Christ, I was a wild man. I was a wild man. I was so fired up about the things of God, it just oozed out of me. Not in an offensive way. It's just that some way my relationship with God affected people in a different way. It was real. And people knew it was real. But what happened over time was kind of a plateau. It's very much like when you're dating. When you're dating, man, you are white hot. You're white hot. Oh, what are we going to do? We're going to go out to dinner. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You're planning out your day. You're planning out your dating time. And you get married, and it's white hot for a while. And then you hit a plateau. Happens to all of us. I'm at a really sweet spot now. Janet and I have been married 45 years. Can you believe that? 45 years. I really wanted applause, and so that's why I did that. Kind of a thank you, you know. But no, it's really, really true. And, and I'll tell you what, I still feel like I'm on my honeymoon. I, honestly. Because you don't want to stay on the plateau. It'll do you in. And it'll become a yawner instead of an excitement. I like the visual picture of a passage I'm going to read to you. I'm not going to, you know, parse it out I'm not going to preach in an expository way of this passage here. All this passage is that I'm going to read is a visual illustration of what I'm talking about. It's found in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. I'll just read a portion of it. It says, While he, that's Jesus, was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Isn't that great? Hey, honey, I bought you some nard. You know, oh, no. Anyway, pure nard, which is very, very expensive. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? I'll go on and on. And, but I wanted to just kind of get the visual picture of what was going on. Perfume, like many um, items back in the day, were put in bottles, and there was not a screw top. There was not an easy open kind of thing. What they would do is, as they made it, they would seal the glass. The only way into it was breaking it. And once it was broken, it had to be used, whatever it was in there. Okay, so that gives you an idea, a little factoid of what was going on. And what happens when you open that up is perfume moved, that aroma Move through the room. When you broke the bottle, it moved. 
When I was in college at NAU, I, like I said, I pole vaulted and ran decathlon, and we were in the Big Sky Conference at NAU, and so all of our track meets were a million miles away, Bozeman, Montana, Missoula, Montana, and Idaho, and all that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, we, we'd have to get on the bus and go for a day or two, and, and so on. My wife, she, we were just dating at the time, she'd like to get a hold of my travel bag, and she would put in this little envelopes or little presents with a day, you know, like Monday, open this up. You know, if I was going to be gone for three days, Tuesday, open this one up, and, and so on. And I, you know, so I always made sure that she got the bag, you know, so that she would, you know, do something like that. And again, she did it. Well, we were on our way to Salt Lake City. So we we're getting on, on the thing. And as I'm getting on the bus, she hands me an envelope, kind of pink. And, and, and she says, don't open that until the bus leaves the campus. True story. So I get on the bus, and I happen to be in the very back. A bunch of us always hung out in the back, played cards and stuff. So we went to the very back and stuff. Bus door closes, and it leaves. And while I'm sitting back there, so cool, I open up the envelope. Now, I didn't know that she poured a bottle of cheap perfume into that letter. And I opened it up, and the aroma was pungent. I mean, you, you could visibly see the aroma move forward, okay? And, and, and guys, you know, that were on the bus, and as it got to them, you know, they'd look back. And, and they, they, all the way on you know, the bus, until we got to the bus driver, and the bus driver, you know, whoa, what's this? And get this, eight hours to Salt Lake City, and it was filled with that perfume. And do you know how I felt? Great. It was awesome. Because I knew I was loved. That's what happens with this aroma. When something is broken and everybody is affected. That's the picture here. So when you pray, oh God, break me of that one thing that hinders a sweet spot with you. Everybody around you gets affected. Marriages get strengthened. Relationships with your neighbors grow a little deeper. Maybe that's your prayer. But here's the third one. And the third one is simply stretch me. Stretch me. When we ask God in prayer to stretch us, we are literally telling God we want to grow in our relationship with Him. We are telling the Lord... I'm not content to stay where I'm at in my relationship with you. And that is so dangerous. And it really is. Because first of all, you're admitting that you haven't arrived. You're admitting that you're not there yet. And secondly, you're asking God to do things necessary to make you mature. That's dangerous. God, do whatever you need to do to grow me up in your faith. Oh, my goodness. In fact, let me just tell you, don't do this one. Because this one's hard. This one really is dangerous. Because maturity is a funny thing. Maturity of character and heart does not automatically happen over time. It just doesn't. 
You and I have rubbed shoulders with people our whole lives that have been in church for years, perhaps, and have never really matured in their depth and relationship with God. Maturity comes, listen, two things. By learning more of what is right. And it also comes by being placed in situations that allow us to apply what we've learned. There's a great passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews. And I love what the writer of Hebrews has been doing. Hebrews was written for second and third generation Christians, okay? What do I mean by that? Second and third generation Hebrew Christians. They were Jewish. Their grandfathers were Jewish. Their fathers were were Jewish, and they came to know Christ. And so this is kind of an appeal to those second and third generation Hebrew Christians. And he talks about a whole lot of things And the roots of Christianity found in the sacrifices, found in a whole lot of things. And the chapter right before what I'm going to read here, he's doing a teaching on a dude named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a priest. And he spent a lot of time with Abraham. Not a whole lot was known, but many people believe that he was a type or a picture of Jesus Christ himself. And so he was teaching about Melchizedek. And by the time you come to chapter 5, verse 11, okay, here's the context. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. We have much to say about this. He's talking about Melchizedek. But it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Listen to this. Here's the key. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. You want to know what solid food is? You want to know what maturity is? It's right here. This is it. By constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It is a dangerous prayer to say, God, stretch me. In other words, put me into situations where I can apply what you've been teaching me and make a decision of what's right or what's wrong. Boy, does this apply to business. Boy, does this apply to a family. Boy, does this apply to every aspect of life. And it's a dangerous prayer to say, oh, God, stretch me. I'm not content to stay where I'm at. Let me give you number four. Number four is very simple. These are all two-word things. Lead me. Lead me. And before I kind of unpack a couple of passages in the Scripture, let me just kind of do a, you know, just a, a truthful moment here for us guys. We are true to the stereotype. We do not ask for directions. It's true. I mean, I, I, very rare... You know, and if some of you are really good at that, you have to give up your man card because it's something that is part of our DNA. Well, I was in Colorado, and I had some meetings. I flew to Denver, and I had a meeting in Colorado Springs, okay? And so uh, uh, it, it was, you know, Denver and Colorado Springs, about a half hour, 60 miles, about a half hour away, and I was late. I was dilly-dallying around in, in Denver, and I got on the road, and I'm late. I hate to say this, 
but I went a little bit faster than I was supposed to go. Maybe a lot faster than I was supposed to go. And I'm going in between cars because I got, I got a rental car, you know, and that's cool. You know, that's a, like a Honda Civic, you know, and I'm, I'm just driving this thing and I'm going in and out and I'm having a great time. But everybody around me is going so slow, just irritating. In fact, I give them the look as I'm passing them, like, what are you doing going the speed limit, you know? And so I'm just really irritated. I get there in time for this meeting in Colorado Springs and have a great meeting. Everything's wonderful. But now I'm done for the day. And so I'm on my way back to Denver. And I'm done. I've got nothing going on. And it's a beautiful day in Colorado. And I get in my Honda Civic and I roll the windows down. And I'm taking my time and I'm looking at the flowers and I'm looking at the trees and I'm looking at the sky and having a good time. And a million people are buzzing by me. Pew, pew, so fast. And I'm saying to myself, where are those guys going in such a hurry? And then it dawned on me. I'm the standard. I'm the standard of what's fast or what's slow. I'm the standard of what's right and wrong. The speed limit isn't. I am. And I find that I like to take the reins of leadership away from God all the time. And when I pray the prayer, lead me, I'm basically acknowledging the sovereignty of God and his ability to lead and direct my life. It's, I'm putting it in his hands rather than mine. It says this in Psalm chapter 5, verse 8. It says, lead me. O Lord, in your righteousness, because of my enemies, make straight your way before me. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. How about Psalm 61, verse 2, from the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You'll find it all over the scriptures. Often, we don't hear the voice of God and we don't embrace miracles that he's giving us because we don't listen to his leadership in our lives. And it's dangerous. I saved the best to last. Number five. Of the most dangerous prayers, I think this is the most dangerous. And it's simply, use me. Use me. All the good stuff in the world doesn't really make much of a difference if somehow in some way I don't drill down to this one and I don't pray this prayer. Oh God, use me. There's all sorts of passages in the scripture that can talk about using me, but one of my favorites is found in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. And again, let me set the context. It starts off in verse 1 and simply says, In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, I want you to know the King Uzziah was this king everybody knew. This would be the equivalent of 9-11. You knew where you were when that happened. Same kind of thing. You knew where you were when King Uzziah died. It was a life-changing moment in the history. 
And Isaiah simply says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, or seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their face, two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which had been taken with the tongs from the altar. It's a beautiful picture here of an atonement. And when he touched my mouth, he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Now here's the key. Then he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And he said, Here am I. Send me. If I don't already have your attention, would you lean in for a second? This is not some sermon that uh, I'll, I'll go from church to church and do this sermon. This is what God's schooling me in right now. It's fresh. And I want you to hear this. I believe with all my heart that God is waiting for an individual to get this. One individual that really understands this, leans into it in a fresh way and say with all honesty to God, here am I. Use me. Send me. I'm the one. This is not some preacher ploy to wrangle with your emotions. It's the reality of the Scripture. There's always one person that kind of rallied the troops, whether it was a Joshua, whether it was a Moses, whether it was a David. I think he's waiting for one right now. And it might be somebody right here. Years ago, there was a gentleman named John Nelson Hyde. And if you're looking for a good biography, John Nelson Hyde. He was a missionary to India. I've had the privilege of being in India five times. And so to read biographies about people there is just interesting. In 1905, John Nelson Hyde, a Christian man, a missionary, was asked to come to the Punjab region of India, which is kind of in the central portion of India. And he was asked to speak to a large gathering of people, many Christians, but many not Christians. And you see, in terms of Hinduism, they would come to listen because they looked at Jesus as just one of many avatars, one of many gods, like Hinduism teaches. So they would come, and so they would gather. And they asked John Nelson Hyde in 1905 to speak. He arrived at the location two days earlier. He simply got to the organizer and said, can you get a room for me? a table and chair, and, and I just need some time to talk to God. And so they gave him a room, closed the door, and he began to pray for 24 hours. I'm tired after five minutes. 24 hours. If 
Finally, the organizer comes, knocks on the door, says, Mr. Hyde, are you okay? He says, yes. I'm just listening to the voice of God closes the door. Another 24 hours goes by. 48 hours. Literally thousands have gathered in central India to listen to him. They had built a stage up really pretty high so that one person could speak to a whole lot of people and they would hear. The organizer comes to the door, knocks on his, Mr. Hyde, please, all these people are here. They're ready to hear you speak. And he comes to the door and he says, I'm sorry. I'm not ready yet. And he closes the door. Now, I'm a practical guy. Can you imagine what's going on in your head? You know, like, how are we going to keep the people here? How are we going to feed them? How are we going to do all these kinds of things? Another 24 hours goes by. And he simply, uh, here's a knock on the door. He has literally been praying on his knees for three days. Guy comes to the door and says, please, Mr. Hyde, I don't know how, but the people all stayed an extra day just to hear you. And he comes to the door and he says, I'm sorry. I'm not ready yet. And he closes the door. Several hours go by. And finally he comes to the door and he opens it up. And he says, now, now I'm ready. And I want you to visualize this. He goes up onto this large platform. Everybody is there. They're waiting. There's energy. There's all these kind of things going on. And the first thing that he says is, you'll love it, Let's pray. I mean, this guy's been praying for three days. Let's pray. Heads go down all over the place. And he begins his prayer with two words, only two words. And he simply says, Oh, God. And he can't finish. Because the Spirit of God begins to move over the people that were there. And hundreds of people run toward the front stage to come to trust Christ as their Savior. Absolutely true story. Read it in the biographies of John Nelson High. Now here's the question. Do you believe that it was because he was such a powerful speaker and he said those words, oh God, that everybody moved? Uh-uh. I think it's because he had this intimate relationship with God and saying God in, to God in prayer, oh God, I'm the least of people but use me. I want to hear your voice. And history will record that that kind of movement of the Spirit of God hasn't happened since in India. I believe that it's a dangerous prayer for you to say, oh God, use me for what you want to do. So five things. I don't want you to remember all of them. But which one is it for you? Search me. Oh God, search me. Break me of that thing that keeps me from you. Stretch me. I'm not content with the status quo anymore. Lead me. I'm done leading myself. Or oh God, use me. Which is it for you? Which is it? I'll close with a story that maybe you've heard before. Four frogs are sitting on a log. One frog decides to jump. How many frogs are left? You're right. Four. Because deciding to jump and jumping are two different things.
Don't just decide to pray a dangerous prayer. Do it. And North Valley Community Church will be the recipient of what God does in you. You pray with me right now? God, of all people, I am the least of people to be able to speak right now, but I pray, Lord, that somehow in some way by your Spirit, you would have communicated just exactly the right message for each person as an individual. Oh God, may we be able to look back and for some people, maybe this day in June would be a day where their trajectory was changed. We ask, Lord, that you somehow in some way would be glorified through the worship, through the message, through communion, and everything that we do here. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.